Well, good evening. Nice to see you and uh, great to worship with you and to get into God's Word uh, together, which is what we're going to do right now. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we continue our uh, series here in the whole book, but specifically this little mini-series on love, this famous chapter and its description of the nature of agape, the nature of divine love. The title of my message tonight, Sticky Love, It Always Endures and Never Ends. I thought about beginning my message tonight by quoting some uh, lyrics of songs that are about human fickle love. So I got on my computer and I googled, like, breakup songs, and... I thought I, there's probably, you know, a couple good ones out there. Wow, there are a lot of breakup songs. You would be amazed, try it when you get home, all the songs that are dealing with human love not enduring. Amongst some that I noted, Love Stinks, <laughs> Heartbreak Hotel by Elvis, Yesterday by The Beatles, You Lost That Loving Feeling by the Righteous Brothers. And then one of my favorites, Achy Breaky Heart. (laughs) So you probably could think of a few that you like. But if you just were to look at the music of our culture, you would come to the conclusion that human love does not endure. It doesn't last. It's a temporary thing. And of course... Love defines so many key categories and relationships in our life, including marriage and family and friendships and relationships with, uh, with our neighbors and relationships with our uh, children, brothers, sisters, our community, our faith community. And we may not sing songs about breaking up uh, with those relationships, but love defines them. Is that kind of love sticky or not? Then, of course, there's the big one. And the big one is the glorious church of Jesus Christ, which has been called out of darkness and into light, has been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Sinners who have received the saving message of Jesus Christ, his work on our behalf, dying for our sins, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection on the third day, his promises about coming back. This whole thing called the church, its inception, its genesis is love's greatest expression, which is, of course, the cross. And so the church has been defined by love from the beginning. And to be a part of the church requires that you are embracing the message of Christ and of love and His teaching, of course, that we are to love one another. So to be a part of a church and to be in the church is very much all about love, both both the faith embrace of love's expression on the cross and also then the daily expressions of love towards our fellow brothers and sisters, which shows the world that Christ is risen and indeed is a worthy Savior. So love is pretty important in this big category of church. 
And what we see from this then is that Christianity is clearly operating on a radically different kind of love. At least we could say it this way. It ought to be operating on an entirely different level of love and kind of love than the uh, fickle, frail, achy, breaky kind of love that is so common in the world around us. Now, what is love? We've hit this and hit it and hit it again, but I don't care. We're going to hit it again. What is love? Love is self-giving for what? Apparently, we haven't hit it quite enough. Here is the definition. Love is self-giving for the good and joy of another. Let's say it together. Love is self-giving for the good and joy of another. It is not selfish. It seeks to find its joy in the joy of the other. Now, we saw last week that as we do that, there is a derivative joy that we get that Jesus summarized when he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So love can be self-seeking in the sense that it embraces love towards others and knows that it will derive greater joy by loving others that way which is kind of a whole other thing that I shouldn't have got into, but it's, it's true. There is, a, there is a kind of self-orientation that biblical love has. But the foundation of it is a selflessness and a self-giving that willingly sacrifices itself so that there can be joy in the beloved. This is Christ-like love who gave all while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us, Romans 6, 8. So this is love. This is what we're talking about. And we're going to talk today about sticky love, which is the last two uh, descriptions of biblical love here in chapter 13. But let me just go ahead and read the whole thing again. We've only got another, what, week or so in this, and then we'll be moving on. So just savor it. It's wonderful. There There probably are, it'd be hard to come up with a more beautiful, I'd say touching, whatever, that sounds sort of girly, but I mean, you know what I mean. It's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful, poetic, meaningful passage of Scripture that we have gone so very slowly through and has been wonderful, uh, wonderful to do. So let me just read again. What is love? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Now here's our two for tonight. Endures all things. Love never ends. So as we focus in here now on love endures all things and love never ends, we begin by just talking about love's endurance and what is the character of this love? Like what what does that mean, that love never ends and that love endures? And so this is what I'm summarizing both of these, that love is sticky, okay? Love is sticky, which I hope is a description that sticks with you, all right? It is sticky, Now, we see in the passage here these two words, which endures is the first, ends is the second. And they are related, but they are slightly different. Love endures all things is one of these... You know, I think that there are are certain uh, Greek words that that you sort of come to know, like agape. 
is, is one. Koinonia is kind of a commonly known one. This might be one that you know. It's the Greek word hupomeno. Hupo means under. Meno means to remain. So if you combine those two together, it means to remain under something. So love remains under is what it literally is saying here. So this word is also translated perseverance. If you were here during our Hebrew series, we talked a lot about perseverance and how in the Christian life we've, we have to hupo meno, we have to persevere to the end of our race. We're told that we are to hupo meno in trials, that we're not to, we're to flee temptation, but we're to remain in trials. That's the word that is used here. It's, it, it, it means to persevere. It's kind of a stick with itness, a sticky Ness. It's you stick with it. That's what the word means. So love here endures under the pressure that human relationships always entail. Anybody ever have a human relationship that did not require a little bit of endurance? Probably not. It doesn't matter who you love. It doesn't matter who's loving you. It always requires there to be a kind of bearing with, a kind of patient sticking with the other person. Because, as we talked about last week, we are all so fundamentally annoying to one another. A helpful image here of this this word may be a piece of carbon that remains under pressure for a very long time. And there's tons and tons of pressure. It doesn't pop out. It stays there. And over time, that piece of carbon is transformed and is refined into a beautiful diamond. That's what love does. Love has that capacity to hang in there, to remain under it. And I think like a piece of carbon, as it sticks with the pressure that the relationship requires, it does not stay the same. It is slowly changed, not for the worse, but for the better, and into something more and more valuable. Think of some long-term love relationship that you've had, and think about how all the challenges and, and struggles and the things that you've gone through have only made you, hopefully, love that person more, and for them to love you as well. That's what love does. It hangs in there, and as it does, it becomes more Beautiful. The second description that we have here is that love uh, never ends. And this is an important one. In fact, if you look in your Bible, I would bet that your Bible begins a new paragraph with verse 8. Do you see that? Have you ever wondered, because I actually have as I've read this, why do they start a new paragraph there? It seems like that love never ends ought to be at the end of verse 7. But they stick it there in verse 8, which, by the way, the verses are not inspired. The numbers are not inspired. You know that. And frankly, neither are the paragraphs. Uh, but um, the reason that that is there is that love never ends begins the argument that Paul makes beginning in chapter 13, verse 8, all the way through to the end of chapter 14. And so they include it there because it begins then the flow. But I'm doing it tonight because that's kind of where I think it ought to be. Um, but here's, here's what it means. It, it, it's also translated, if you have an NIV, it's translated love never fails. The word means fall down. Okay? 
fall down. If something falls down, it means that it didn't, it didn't last. If I, if I, if we were, if I was talking here and all of a sudden those two trees just went and fell down, we think, wow, that, that was, that stand didn't last. It was something wrong with it, right? We're thankful that we have very good stands here and they're so upright and, and so, so beautiful. So, um, that's kind of the sense of the word. Love doesn't fall down. It has a permanence. It stays. It never becomes inadequate is another way to say it. It's always up to the task. It's never overwhelmed. It always endures. And it never ends. And so the reason this is important, this last point, is that in the in the everything that Paul's going to say from this point on to the end of chapter 14 is going to be about spiritual gifts. And you can see how his argument then begins. Look at the rest of verse 8. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now those three are all spiritual gifts. They're referred to um, in verses 8 and following of chapter 12. So now then he kind of leaves the whole matter of love, but then applies it to the problem that was going on at the church of Corinth regarding spiritual gifts. And what Paul's going to say is that, listen, these gifts, they're temporary. They're here for a while. They're great while they're here, and then they're going to be gone. But when they're gone, guess what? Love will still remain. Love will still remain. I read today a beautiful chapter by Jonathan Edwards. I'm going to try to find a way to get it into your hands. Heaven is a world of love. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever read in my entire life. How true that is. So many things temporary are going to pass away, but love will remain. Love will be the oxygen of heaven. Love will pour forth from God towards his people for all of eternity. There will not be spiritual gifts in heaven, but there will be love. There will be love. And that's the point that he's making here. The problem that was going on at the church at at Corinth was that they were so enamored with spiritual gifts and so obsessed with one in particular, speaking in tongues, that they were clamoring about that one gift and willingly throwing one another under the bus. Oh, love and unity, who cares about that? But boy, speaking in tongues, this is the thing that's so important. And what Paul says here basically is this. Listen, you got it upside down. These are things, they're temporary. These are not the things that are the big deal. What is the big deal? Loving one another. Displaying the love of God towards one another. Unity in the church. That's what matters. Maybe like the Visa commercial, if I could illustrate this way. Loving one another, $5. Unity in the church, $25. Speaking in tongues, priceless okay that was the church at corinth paul is going to say this speaking in tongues five dollars prophecy twenty five dollars loving one another priceless they had it upside down we would do well to learn from that mistake as we prepare to study chapter 14 frankly But don't we oftentimes do the same thing? You say, well, I don't really argue about those spiritual gifts that much. Well, listen, don't we oftentimes do the same thing? 
some temporary matter, something that doesn't really matter in the end, is the thing that we get our dander all up about. We get our, you know, we get, we get all fussy about something in a relationship, and it's not going to matter in the end. Some little thing becomes a big thing. And we will fight, and we will accuse, and we will slander, and we'll go after one another. In other words, we'll throw them under the bus for the sake of our little issue. Some little temporary thing. Paul's saying this, listen, what endures is what matters, and what endures is love. Therefore, loving one another is what matters. It's not just a throwaway virtue in the church. It is God. It isn't God. God is love. Love is not God. God is love. But this is what is so valuable. I think about in the church things like Christian liberty issues that we may or may not agree on, minor points of doctrine, some style of ministry, worship, personal expression of faith, piety, even heart issues like uh, ethnicity in the church and race relations in the church where we somehow find a way to make a big deal about somebody's uh, genealogical tree or the color of their skin. We look into the future and what do we find? That doesn't matter in heaven. We are all one in Christ in heaven. Amen? And so since that's what is really valuable then, that ought to tell us what is really valuable here. And Paul's saying live for what matters in the end. Live for what is permanently valuable in the end. And that here is love. I think we have a chronic problem with caring about the wrong things. And missing what is most important. It's kind of similar to the old statement. Maybe you've heard it. There are two things that last forever. The word of God and people. I think we could add love to that. And the kind of the point is what should we be living for? Love never ends. So there's the character of it. That's kind of what, he, what he's saying here. But I think in order for us to get it, we need to talk about the source of this kind of love. Okay, the source of this kind of love. Love's endurance comes from God. Love is from God. And so the kind of love that he's talking about here is God's kind of love. I would think that many of us, maybe you're here and listening to this and you're going, well, I just don't think I have that kind of love. Or we look honestly in our heart and what kind of love do we see? We see fickle kind of love. We see wishy-washy kind of love. We see, as long as you're doing something for me, I'll do something for you kind of love. Scratch my back, I'll scratch your back kind of love. Achy, breaky, lost that loving feeling kind of love. It's here, it goes. That's the kind of, that's human love, isn't it? Because we are so fickle. We are so, our emotions are up and down. Our commitments are up and down. We're human, we're broken, we're flawed. So clearly what's being described here can't come from us. And we should be glad, we should be glad that, that it doesn't because none of us would be able to fulfill it. Another writer tells us where this comes from, and I'd like you to turn over to 1 John 4 with me. 1 John 4. Key passage on love. The Apostle John writes, beginning in verse 7, these words. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Where's love from? 
Okay, that was a little weak. You're with me, right? Where's love from? It comes from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now let's just kind of walk through that and see what it's saying here. First of all, agape love is not a man-made, man-generated reality. You can't go home and just sort of go, okay, I'm going to love that way now. I'm going to come up with it on myself. You'll never come up with it. This kind of love doesn't come from us. It comes from God. God is love. So we get it from God. Now, we talked about this recently, but I'm just going to refer to it briefly. When we talked about love, the first message, I think, in this whole series, we talked about how God is love and what that means. And we talked about the nature of the Godhead, that God is three in one. He, one. he is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes we sort of have this view of God where he's just sort of statically there back in eternity, sort, sort of being God boring when that is totally not the case. We find in the Bible a description of the way that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit interact with one another. And what we find is that there is an energy between them. Okay, There is a real energy between them where the Father is self-giving for the good and joy of the Son. And the Son is self-giving for the good and joy of the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit similarly to the Father and the Son. In other words, they are like a little small group. And they are actively, passionately loving one another. They are communicating with one another. They are giving of themselves to the other in a kind of cauldron of eternal divine love. That is utterly joyous, completely satisfied, and is wonderful. In fact, it was the love of God, that energy that God then expressed when he just created this universe. Imagine that. You want to talk about a powerful love, and he just goes, wah, and he sings the universe into existence. Must be a pretty powerful love, don't you think? Some of you ladies get excited when your husband brings a flower home. Honey, here's the universe. That's how happy I am. If this universe is an expression of God's delight in himself and those relationships, that's a lot of delight, don't you think? So that's what we're talking about. This is not a boring... And as a side note, this point is what made my heart come alive to the study of God. I took classes in Bible college on theology and seminary, and the professor was like, God is omniscient, he is omnipotent, you know, and we had to memorize these words and what they meant. And it just seems so stale and boring. Well, then I came across a couple of fellows who taught about this kind of love story between the, in the Godhead, 
between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And how everything, this whole story, is the overflow of their love in one another. That this whole thing, including you and your existence, is a part of a love story. And who doesn't love a love story? We all do. This is a massive, cosmic, divine, eternal love story. And it's not about us. It is about God. That is divine love. So powerful that God is love. Now, God is many things. He is mercy. He is just. He is holy. But the Bible here is celebrating that he is at his essence self-giving for the good and joy of himself within the Trinity. And that's mysterious. You think about it, they go, wow, is that, I don't totally get it. But it's marvelous. It is marvelous. And this divine love then was expressed in all of eternity. It was, it was just ping-ponging amongst the, the, the Trinity. But God chose to express this divine energy of love toward us. We see that in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, he's aiming the love at the, at the spirit, and that's not the right aiming, it's a gun, but I mean, he's, he's like, he's aiming at the son and the spirit. But for this moment in time, he took that love, which he had expressed in eternity to the, within the Godhead, and he pointed it at us. And in the incarnation, And in the cross of Christ, we get to feel what it is like to be in the Trinity and to have the love of God poured out for us. The Son came into the world. And what did Christ do on the cross? He loved us. He lo- the Father showed His love to us by sending the Son. The Son shows His... the. Let me just keep this going. This is exciting. I thought about this. The Father shows his love toward us in the sending of the Son. So in the sending, in, in Christmas, we feel from the Father what it's like to be a member of the Trinity. Self-giving for, the, for our good and joy. Christ on the cross was the Son loving us. And in the cross, we feel from the Son what he has been expressing to the Father for all of eternity past. And what do we see in that? We see blood and we see gore and we see a Savior dying there and saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Love's ultimate expression there toward us, which he had been doing in eternity past to the Father and the Spirit. But here now we see in the cross divine love coming our way. And when we believe in Jesus for our salvation, here now is the, is the Spirit. The Spirit takes up residence within us. And now this love, which we felt in Christmas from the Father and felt uh, in the cross from the Son, we experience within from the Spirit. And it takes up residence within us. It abides in us. And in this way, as we love others, then, here's the, actually, this is getting better all the time. 
Sometimes I got to preach these messages to figure them out. In Christmas, we get the love of the Father toward us. In the cross, we get the love of the, of the, of, of the Son toward us. In regeneration, we get the love of the Spirit in us. Love is perfected in us when we take that love and express it to one another. Okay? Love is completed. It is, it's made the full, it's come full circle within us. When that same self-giving love as seen in the giving of the Son in Christmas and the giving of his life in the cross and the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost is given out to others. That is God's love. In other words, so different than our love. This love is grounded in the eternal nature of God. And since his love is unceasing... Our expression of it is enduring, sticky, like his love is sticky. Which leads then to how important it is that our love towards one another is like this. Here's just a sampler of some of the things that the New Testament says about how important it is that we love each other with an enduring kind of love. Romans 12, verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. John 13, a new commandment I give you, but that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by your love one for another. Ephesians 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Colossians 3, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, there you have it. Be warmed and filled. Go do it. Anybody have a problem uh, agreeing that we ought to love one another? Okay, we're all in fundamental agreement. Yes, of course, in the church, we're called to love one another. Got that. Anybody have a problem actually doing that? With someone sitting near you, like in the last hour or so. You see, it's, it's so easy to agree with this in principle. But we're not called to love principles. We're called to love people. And people are so much harder to love than principles because we're back to the same point. People are flawed. People are broken. People are filled with contradictions. Like the old saying, you've heard it before, to dwell above with the saints I love, oh, that will be glory. To dwell below with the saints I know, now that's another story. Indeed it is. So towards the goal of helping us to be sticky, okay, towards that goal, I have a few things I want to say. First of all, agape love is the decision, the dying to self decision to treat others the way that God has treated me. In other words, if you're looking for a model for how to do this, don't look in the mirror. 
We have to look into the scripture. We have to look into the sky. We have to look into the gospel in order to be inspired to love one another this way. Now, the good news of Christianity, of course, is that God didn't love us the way that we love each other. Aren't we glad for that? He loved us with an eternal Trinitarian love. He loved us in a self-giving way. And this is why, friends, and I hope this is one of the legacies in our church of this love series, is that we get away from the kind of sentimental, sappy, superficial, silly perspective of love that is sold to us every day in our culture. That is not love. The kind of love that this is talking about is found in Christ. John fifteen thirteen. greater love has no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. So where do we go to find a model and to find inspiration to get sticky in our relationships? We have to go to the gospel. We have to think about a savior dying on a cross, bloody, gasping for air, trying to breathe as he goes up and down on that cross. All the while, the son of God, any moment, if he wanted to, could just have just I'm done with this, willingly dying for sinners. That's love. That is love's greatest moment. Love's epitome is that. And there's nothing sentimental about it. I remember when the Passion of the Christ movie came out. And um, lots of things were said about it and, and all the rest. But there were a lot of people that were appalled by it. That's way too gory, way too, way too bloody. That needs to be relegated to some kind of a, you know, that needs some rating so nobody sees it kind of a thing. How many of those people would have said, that's a beautiful love story? They ought to put that at Blockbuster under love story, the passion of the Christ. And yet it ought to be. It is the greatest love story ever. But that's the, that's the paradox of this. It is, it is tortured, brutal, raw, and yet it's love. And the more that we understand what Christ did for us, And the more we get that as love, the easier it is to be sticky with one another. The easier it is for a husband to look at Ephesians 5 and say, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And to look at the annoying thing, which was different, whatever that might be, and to say, you know what? My inspiration of this is like light years greater than that. I can love her in this, can I not? Look what Christ did for me. Or how about within the church, dealing with one another and the things that we inevitably annoy one another and disappoint one another and fail one another and betray one another. To look at those things in context and to see the gospel and what love is and then to see the lesser and to say, you know what? This is my model. This is my inspiration. I most certainly can love that small group member in spite of what she said at the last meeting about me. 
and my dog or my unruly child or my breath or whatever it was. These little things that just, what? What? He died for you. That's love. And so I would suggest to you, if your love seems to be waning towards God or towards somebody that God's called you to love, spend time meditating on sin and punishment and grace and the cross and mercy and hell and eternal life and heaven. Because when God's people get the gospel, it makes their love sticky. Are you with me? Next thing I just want to say is that agape love is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit, and it is a sign of genuine salvation. If love is a fruit of the Spirit and evidence of genuine salvation, then what is the explanation of so many non-loving, non-sticky, non-enduring, professing Christians that fill the rows of churches today? I would dare say that one great, great reason for it is that we have many people in the American evangelical church who frankly just aren't saved. And the reason they can't drum up agape love is that God's love isn't in them in the first place. Warren Wiersbe said, it's time to come to the conclusion that 80% of people in, uh, in evangelical churches just aren't saved. And that's a great explanation, is it not, for why there is so much fickle love in churches amongst people who claim to be Christians, amongst husbands who claim to be followers of Jesus, amongst wives who profess to be longtime believers in Jesus of Nazareth. And yet, their love does not stick. Amongst brothers and sisters who claim to be followers of Jesus and yet cannot come to any way of forgiving one another. How do we explain that? Well, we need better discipleship programs. We need to get better books. If you'd preach better, maybe we'd get it, Pastor Steve. And you know what? That's true. But I just think a lot of people need to get saved. Get the love of God in your heart. And it's amazing the difference it makes. This is 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The test in 1 John, there's three of them. One of them is, do you love your brother or not? And if you claim to know God and you don't love your brother, you're a liar. You need to get saved. That's kind of the conclusion of 1 John. So I would even ask you here today, how do you know that you are saved? How do you know that you're regenerate? How do you know you're under the grace of God? And if your first thought is, well, I prayed a prayer or I had a religious experience or I've just always been around this and I kind of just sort of always followed it, then your assurance is resting in the wrong place. The evidence of actually being regenerate, one of them is that you love. 
with the love of God that the Spirit produces in your life. And there are other evidences, and these things don't save us, but they do evidence that God is working in our life. So please don't leave here tonight going, well, that was a waste of time. That's a message that I don't need to hear about. I've got Jesus, and yeah, I know I hate everybody, but I'm going to heaven anyway. (laughs) It's pretty important that we stop and think, wait a second, is there any evidence of agape love in my life? Here's the third. It's the last thing. Non-sticky love for one another says about God what isn't true. You know, God is love. God's love never ends. Praise God. And what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians 13 is he's looking at it eschatologically. He's looking at it in the big picture. He's looking at it from the perspective of the future. And he says love is the greatest because it's the most permanent. Why is it the most permanent? It's the most permanent because God is love. And the The stickiness of his love is what defines eternity. So therefore, whenever Christian relationships are broken and are not being restored or not actively pursuing that, when Christian marriages and Christian family relationships and Christian friendships, when these things are broken and nobody seems to care, What that is saying is something about God that isn't true. It's saying that love ends. But God's love never ends. And we're called to display that. We live that out for John 13 so that the world may know that we are his disciples, that he is a savior who changes us. So love matters. It's not something we just say, oh, it doesn't matter because all these other things are what we want to fight about and what we're really interested in. No, this is the thing. This is it. And we must strive. And I call Bethel Church, we must strive. And we do so imperfectly. But we must do our best to strive to display God's kind of love towards one another. In other words, we need to stick together. We need to stick together. We need to work hard at our Christian marriages. We need to work hard at our Christian parenting. We need to work hard at our Christian uh, friendships and to apply the gospel to them. Love is more important than any of these little things that so often divide us. And friends, it's this kind of radical love, this kind of divine self-giving love that has always been the hallmark of Christianity. In the very first century, there was a Christian apologist who wrote a letter to the Roman emperor to talk about what was it like, what were the Christians like in in the first century? Here's what he wrote. This is 1900 years old. He says this, they love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they had something, they give freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home and are happy, as though he were a real brother. There's a 2,000-year-old description of what Christianity is like when it's lived out with God's kind of love. So this is always, this isn't a, this isn't a new thing I'm throwing out here. This is as old as the church. Love one another. When I was in high school, I remember giving a a speech and quoting the famous speech from Winston Churchill. 
you probably have heard this, and I'm not going to try to over-dramatize it like I would have been, would, would, or probably did when I was a junior in high school, just to get the dramatic effect going. I won't even try to do that. Okay, maybe a little bit. Winston Churchill, Winston Churchill, of course, stands up. I think it was at a graduation, and, and you know, he's the, the prime minister. So everybody's like, oh, well, let's hear all the important things that Winston Churchill's going to say here now. And he gets up and he says, Neville, Neville, give up. Neville, 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 give up. Neville! Never, never give up. You should have heard me when I did it the first time. <laughs> oh. I got to feel like giving that speech right now because I know full well there are some of you that are ready to give up or have already given up. And you've already said, I'm done with that. I ain't never going to go back to that. Wait a second. Love one another. Love doesn't fail and it doesn't fall down. It doesn't give up. It embraces a kind of love. Aren't you glad that this is, aren't you glad God loves us with a sticky love? Aren't you glad for Romans 8 where he's, he lists, you know, what can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Height, depth, anything in all creation? No, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God that he loves us with a sticky love. Now love one another that way. That's what this is saying. Sticky love. A writer said this, love ever gives, forgives, outlives, and ever stands with open hands. And while it lives, it gives. For this is love's prerogative. To give and give and give. Amen. Amen. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to do this. And I pray over this room that, Lord, that you just might soften hearts here that have hardened towards one another, somebody key in their life. Lord, to recognize that this life is temporary. It's so fleeting. But love is eternal. And I pray that we might love one another with the kind of love that you have loved us. And we thank you so much for that. Thank you that you loved us when we were stinking, rotten sinners, enemies, fighting against you with every moral fiber we have. And yet you loved us. Lord, I pray that you would break our hearts again with the gospel. And from that position of brokenness, that we might look at one another through new eyes, forgiving eyes, reconciling eyes. So we pray to that end. In Jesus' name, amen.